We'll just start recording, you know. Okay, so Richie Hardcore. Thanks heaps for sitting down with me today. So in my last podcast with Lydia, she briefly mentioned mental health and I had an influx of messages asking me to talk a bit more about it and I immediately thought of you. Um, but I wanted to start with your background and um, yeah, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from here. I'm from Auckland. Cool. Yeah, I grew up out west. I'm a westie. Um, yeah. Nice. But I moved into the city uh, about 12 or 13 years ago. Yeah. And I've stayed here ever since, yeah. Oh, nice. And you were a fighter. So yeah. So talk me through your career with that. Yeah, so I started competing in martial arts. I had my first like competitive fight when I was 13. So that was, yeah, I'm 38, so that's 25 years ago. Uh, and I, yeah, I really fell in love with the structure and the discipline and the, all, all the non-tangible benefits of martial arts. You know, I was a real insecure kid mm. and uh, martial arts really helped me develop a sense of self-esteem and a sense of purpose mm. and gave me somewhere to put all my anger and frustration, you know, so instead of getting in fights at school, I could go to the what was a dojang back then with taekwondo school and it, you know hit other people and not get in trouble you yeah. know what i mean <laughs> yeah so like i got this tattoo on my leg it's like just fighting saved my life because i really oh. felt it did you know like yeah. uh, a lot of people i know have gone down the road of you know gangs or drugs or suicide or mm. just not achieve the potential and i truly think if i hadn't gotten into competitive combat sports young i could have be on the same way. Yeah. So, so how did you get into it? Like what? My um my father, um my father is an, an alcoholic and he yeah. lives with alcoholism, but he's been in recovery for a long time now. But um during my childhood, it was quite difficult. Mm. Um, but he was going through a period of sobriety when I was about thirteen, and he took me to a. Martial, uh, taekwondo school and since the instructor he just told me this at the start of this year actually and i was quite moved he mm. said i'm not doing a very good job as a father would you be able to maybe help my son out a bit and wow. yeah which was pretty powerful i think yeah for him when he told me that this year i was you know I had a bit of a cry you know because yeah. i think that is like a sign of a good parent yeah. you know like parenting's difficult and um unfortunately my dad a few had a few problems of his own mm. and so yeah he took me along and I really f- fell in love with it you know and, and I've been doing it ever since uh I, I moved from taekwondo to Muay Thai or Thai boxing when I was yeah. 17 and had my first Thai boxing fight when I was 18 and yeah I, I, I turned out to be all right at it and I went on to win a bunch of national titles South Pacific titles um I won a four-man title. So the big tournament now in New Zealand is the King in the Ring. It's like an eight-man tournament. Yeah. you got to fight three guys in one night. But Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's physical. <laughs> yeah, it's physical. But, I think I've got it tough sometimes, <laughs> like running around with all stuff. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, I'm a, bit old, I'm a bit older. So in the mid-2000s, we had a four-man tournament. I won that once. I had to beat two guys in one night. So... They're all humble, humble accolades, but I, mm. I was happy to have been at the top of New Zealand for quite a while. Yeah. And I got to fight it overseas, you know, fought in Japan and Thailand a few times and Australia. So it's been a fun ride, you know, mm. and it's really helped me turn out as a decent human being, I yeah. think. You know, yeah. all the, the sporting side of it's great. Uh, 
but even when I was professional, when I eventually like the money was brilliant. Yeah. But the 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 sense of purpose and belonging it gave you was awesome. You know? Yeah. And now I've become a coach. I retired from fighting five years ago, and mm. I've been fortunate enough to work with some of our top professional fighters as well as complete beginners and. Being part of other people's journeys is, um, yeah, it's really rewarding. It's really cool to see them flourish as athletes if they're professional or uh, start thriving as people if mm. they're a young person with some problems like I was. Yeah. So it's, I know, it's kind of nice to be in that circle. Yeah. So you started sort of age 13 and finished age... 33. 33. That was my last competitive fight. So were you fighting, were you sort of just fighting or were you studying or working or... Because obviously it's, you know, it doesn't, you said it doesn't, doesn't doesn't pay the bills. Yeah, no, no. So I'd fight throughout the year, but like in in my day, in my era, (laughs) we didn't have as big a scene as we do now. Mm. So a busy year, if you stayed in New Zealand, was four or five fights a year, you know? Yeah, right. Um, So I worked shitty part-time jobs from 20 to 26 yeah around my fighting and then at 26 i went back to university okay um, what'd you do i did a honors degree i did a double major in political science and spanish and an honors um degree in spanish which was not people was like oh so you speak fluent spanish and i'm yeah. like i speak all right spanish <laughs> but a lot of that's looking at um social and historical and um, political factors within right uh, the Spanish speaking world. Okay. So I ended up writing my dissertation around the, the development of gangs culture in El Salvador. Right. And so my degree really gave me a good set of tools to look at things through a structural lens. Yeah. Right. You know, we tend to look at the problems in society at an individual basis, mm. but people are not immune from the environment in which they find themselves mm. and, and most people's actions are at least in some part impacted by the family they're born into the neighborhood that family lives in mm. um the country you know yeah, like absolutely. The, the, the political decisions mm. that have been made historically they all impact us yeah and so so how did you know my, my that... studies sort of helped me come to understand all of that you right know? okay so how did you how did you decide that you were kind of interested in in that side of things and, and in, want to in study that. Yeah. Um, I guess it sounds idealistic, but I always wanted the world to be different. Yeah. Or, you know, like I remember being upset watching nature documentaries as a kid <laughs> and getting really frustrated and sad that lions were getting shot and elephants were getting slaughtered and, mm. you know, whales were getting harpooned. And, um, and, and because of the difficulties in my home life and the instability and, and violence that I grew up with, mm. um, I kind of always gravitated towards, I guess, being different, you know? Yeah. So when I was in high school and people started drinking and doing drugs, I thought that was real beige and real boring. And like, mm. also, I associated alcohol with all the problems in my home life. Yeah. So I was like, nah, I don't want to drink. And, yeah. and that really sort of set me apart from everyone else. Yeah. You know, like going yeah. to high school and not drinking. I went to an all-boys school in West Auckland. Mm. Like you get teased and hassled and all this sort mm. of stuff. But I found myself in a subculture of the punk rock scene that was called the hardcore scene. It's still a vibrant, living, musical scene around the world. Mm. It was big in New Zealand in like the late 90s to the mid-2000s, early 2000s. And while there's still like, 
hardcore fans here. We don't have like an active community like we used to. It's kind of, you know, it's like any sort of youth culture, ebbs and flows. Mm. But that music, getting back to your question, that music was very political. Um, it was very political and it sang about all sorts of social injustices um, on top of hip hop, which I'd always listened to, uh, you know, like old public enemy and stuff, um, dead prayers. Uh, again, politicized music, and it really piqued my intellectual curiosity into the injustices that I saw played out in the news media all the time. Mm. I did some traveling. I went to Mexico for the first time in 2004 and encountering like third world poverty and having children come and lick your plate because they're starving. Seeing militarized regions in Mexico really made me want to understand the world a lot better mm. so when I got sick of working and dead-end jobs I decided to go back to university and and, and try and get some academic understandings of all the things I've been listening to and music and seeing with my own eyes you know mm. it was kind of cool to go to university older I think in hindsight and you know you meet some 18 year old kid who lives with their parents in Epsom <laughs> who's, who's arguing, no offense if you're an age, if, you, if you grew up in age, um, who, who would argue for, say, like free market economic policies, which would impoverish people further. Mm. And I'm like, have you ever talked to a hungry kid? <laughs> you mm. know, like when you haven't seen those things or felt those things, I think it's uh, misguided to have strong political opinions you know yeah i see these people with privilege sort of go straight into university and then they come out with a degree but they haven't seen the impact of those ideas mm. do you know what i mean yeah i think you're um going back to study like it was like applying something that you were interested in it wasn't kind of like oh well i finished school like what next i'll go to uni yeah. which to be fair like for me i having hockey i that was my priority probably and so uni sort of was second rate to that and so I I now have a degree which I'm proud of but it, it's I'm still trying to discover what it is that I am fully interested in outside of you know my sport so yeah. it's yeah what's your degree in communications at AUT yeah. uh, I started at AUT and then I did um had to study extramurally because of hockey I'm away so much mm. that it was easier to do it online. It's a communication is a pretty great degree. Like a lot of my yeah. a lot of my friends and colleagues have got brilliant careers from that. So mm. it's quite gives you quite a lot of scope. Yeah, I, I mean that was why I chose it because it was broad. Yeah. Um, and I mean who knows what else I would have done if I didn't have hockey, but that's not uh, whatever. No, <laughs> but like, I think a lot of people like you say like school, university, job, mm. and then quietly dissatisfied the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, because yeah. they followed the script that society's written for them. But yeah. that's not what makes us a person. I remember yeah. I studied, before I went to uni at 26, I did go to teacher's college for a year at 20. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I thought, you know, I'm going to be a teacher. Mm. And I remember having conversations with, you know, when I was doing student placement, with, it really sticks out in my head. A couple of twelve-year-olds. Oh, yo, what do you guys want to be? And they were like, I want to be a teacher. I want to be no. I want to be a doctor and I want to be a lawyer. They said, Yeah. Oh, cool, man. Like, why do you guys want to do that? Oh, because it makes lots of money. Mm. No comment on. Oh, I want to defend innocent people, or I want to mm. socially sanction guilty people, or mm. I want to help people get better, 
or mm. I want to discover the cure for cancer. Mm. I want to make lots of money. Yeah. And that's um, super problematic because there is no science that says making lots of money makes you happy and fulfilled. No. We were talking the other day with a group of friends about when you're at school and there was like that careers book that you could look through that um, showed you what the wage was and you almost chose your what you wanted to do directly off what the wage was. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, there's like there was like this book, I, I can't remember what it's called or how old I was when I looked at it. But I, um, yeah, as I get older, I start to realise, like, yeah, I mean, money helps, but um, oh, look. you've got to enjoy what you're doing every day, right? Totally. I mean, like... I as mean, much I, as you can. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, like, I, I drive a nice car and I live in a nice house, which mm. I would never be able to, I'll never be able to own the house, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> the property prices are the same, but, like, yeah. I, those things are important, but there's data that shows us that after you earn about 70 grand a year, I think, US, off the top of my head, yeah, I can't remember the exact figure, but yeah. your your levels of happiness, which are measurable, stop increasing. Mm. Yeah, so you need to, you know, be able to pay for your food, clothes, shelter, healthcare, a degree of a holiday once in a while. Yeah. Look after your kids. Or need a break. Or need a break, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But once you start looking at buying your second, third car, your third, fourth house, mm. you don't get any happier than the first time, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. and yet we're told that we need to exponentially improve our financial situation yeah. and, and yet there's little conversation, although it is changing to be fair yeah. about true causes of what makes us emotionally and mentally well. Totally. So speaking of mentally well, how did mental health become so big in, in your life and become so important to you? Yeah, okay. Um, I guess I started talking about it publicly uh, after I was a guest on a radio show called The Nuttest Club, which is at News Talk ZB here in Auckland. Yeah. It's a national radio show. My good friend Mike King started that show. Mm. Mike was a very famous, very successful comedian um, back in the day. But he was also deeply troubled and suffered from depression and developed drug and alcohol addiction and his whole life fell apart and he started talking about that on the radio he's the way he tells it's funny like he Mm. tells this really funny story about how he's doing talk about radio and no one was listening so he just started started talking about the voices in his head and he's like what up can i swear on your podcast yeah yeah. you know like fuck no one's listening fuck how does it make me feel you know like (laughs) he tells this very funny narrative of how Mm. he started talking about the voice and said the switchboard he says lit up people started calling and going Mm. oh my god i think like that i don't feel good you know it Mm. was amazing anyway mike started the nutters club he started a charitable trust called the key to life um Anyway, he had me as a guest on his radio show some years back to talk about my childhood and how growing up with an alcoholic parent, alcoholic parent <laughs> affected me um, and what I've done to, to deal with that. And, you know, we talked about martial arts and finding a sense of structure because I never had that as a kid and, mm. um, and how I, you know, do what I do now. And he really enjoyed the interview and asked me to fill in for him when he couldn't do it. Because cool. I'd done radio for 15 years on a radio station called BFM as well. So I had a 
background in broadcasting. Okay. And I had an interest in mental health, I guess, due to the alcohol and drug work I was doing. Yeah. I used to work for the Ministry of Health um, in reducing drug and alcohol harm in the community. So I'm not a drug counsellor, but it was like, how do you change the social norms around alcohol and drugs? Mm. How is it that when the team finishes, there's not beers on the sideline? Mm. Or like, how do you make sure that it's not Heineken sponsoring the tennis? Or, mm. you know, that sort of yeah. shit that drives demand. Right. So I did that for a long time and, yeah, did this interview. Um, when you look at alcohol and drug issues, you see that a lot of people who have problematic use of substances have mental health issues, you know, mm. anxiety and depression. Drugs are a great way to feel better mm. if you're insecure. Drugs are an alcohol great way to feel better if you're stressed. Drugs and alcohol great to feel better. Mm. So we just, yeah, so Mike invited me on the show, had my interview, started filling in for him. And the more I went into it, the more I learned, you know. And then um, I got, I mean, to, yeah, to get personal, I got divorced in a few years ago, and that really messed up my mental health. I mm. fell into, and it's actually been quite an interesting journey. I mean, mm. now I'm out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's been an in hindsight. In hindsight, <laughs> wouldn't um, wouldn't want to go through it again. But I, I, I really wouldn't. Like yeah. be, being divorced is probably like the whole process of being divorced and separating from my ex-wife. Not just separating physically and legally, but like yeah. the emotional, spiritual connection separation has been like the most painful thing I've experienced, I, I think, in life. Mm. And um, it really fucked up my mental health. Mm. Yeah, I fell into like a really long-term, low-level depression. I remember mm. starting. I remember starting that job at the ministry, and my my um, and I'd just broken up with my wife at the time, and. My manager was like, hey, I've noticed you're missing a lot of days at work. <laughs> and, um, you know, like you seem a bit away from the space. And do you suffer from depression? She asked me. And I didn't understand what I do now. And I said no and then burst into tears in the middle of the office. <laughs> Which was funny because yeah. I fucking did, you know. Yeah. Like I just didn't call it depression. I just yeah. thought I was upset for whatever when you look back at for an extended period of time time. and there's actually uh you know i'm sort of going a little over the place but it's actually (laughs) i've I've actually come to understand and learn that um ongoing low depression is called dyslimia it's actually diagnosable Mm. Uh, no one diagnosed me with it when i first started having it i've been in therapy for a few years now and that's what's taught me a lot you know yeah so my own self discovery has helped inform my, I guess, advocacy work and professional work around mental health issues. Yeah. You know, every time you go on the, I went on the radio, I don't do that show anymore, but, you know, I'd be in the studio with a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and people would call and we'd discuss their issues. I'm mm. just the human voice there, mm. like, talking, and then there's a professional who can give some feedback, and, you know, you do that for long enough, you get a degree of an education around an issue yeah. on top of me looking at myself and trying to get better mm. and now I talk about those things on like social media or mainstream media and um, even businesses businesses I'm on public speaker and stuff now mm. uh, businesses will um, invite me in to talk about mental health and real simple things we can do to cope and deal with our mental health yeah which we don't do enough no so after um having you know that experience 
listening to probably a lot of people's questions around it, what do you think are common misconceptions about mental health? The common misconceptions that you can just snap out of it? Like, I'm a really motivated person, yeah. you know, like, I didn't get all my sporting success because I was lazy. You know, when I was 20, I was waking up at 5.30, going running six days a week, kicking bags. Yeah. After that, going back in the evening, you know, like, mm. twitch, you know, whereas most 20-year-olds, uh, you know, partying, what, you know how it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's You're an like, athlete. You're an yeah. athlete. Like, you know that you There's sacrifice a lot, you know? Different contrast, yeah. There's different contrast between, like, a more straight-ahead lifestyle and an athletic lifestyle. The point I'm saying is that I'm pretty mentally tough. I couldn't just snap out of being depressed. People would say, oh, just get over mm. it, you know? Like, just, you know, like, stop talking about it or stop talking about it, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, you can't just do that. No. You know, like... Do you think that it's one of those things that to get better from, you have to talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I fell into... So, you know, I was getting... Coming out of that long-term depression... I was in a relationship that ended really dramatically a couple of years ago, really painfully. And then my depression went from on the up getting better to massive drop from what to into like a chronic depression mm. where I was like suicidal and, um, you know, they put me on medication mm. and talking about it actually helped me get through it. You, yeah. you know, like the fact that I was a fucking mess yeah. <laughs> and, and I've got like, you know, and, and um, I could talk about things on, you know, my Instagram account for what it is. It actually can be a, as long as I've, you're not romanticizing your pain, mm. I think it can be a really healthy outlet to talk about mm. what you're going through. And you see a lot of online support communities. Mm. But better than online is I could talk to my friends and they would listen. Mm. I'm really thankful that I have friends who are understanding of w what depression is and what mental health is and I can ring them up. Mm. Or not, they could ring me and we could have a deep talk about all the shit that I'm thinking and feeling. Yeah. And then seeking, prof and, you know, ongoing professional help, like seeing a psychiatrist yeah. is vital. You can't just hold on to your pain or your sense of disconnection and, ex and, and expect things to change. You actually yeah. need to, unfortunately, take proactive steps, which can be really hard when you're depressed because you don't feel like fucking doing anything yeah. except staying in bed forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I guess that was one of my questions I had, um, and I don't have, I haven't, you know, had too much to do with um, people who are depressed or, you know, I been depressed myself or anything like That's that. That's cool. Yeah. I'm happy for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy too, but I, I mean, from a, um, as a, as a family member or a friend who is dealing with another friend who's depressed, mm. or a family member who's depressed, what do you say is the best way to sort of I think, support them? Because, you know, there's actually, there's more and more talk about it in the media these days. Yeah, which is great. More information, but, mm. you know, someone like me I, I don't know much about it you know so then how how do you suggest to help those who are dealing with yeah sure with so, it? so while saying things like just snap out of it get over it or harden up are really unhelpful yeah what can be really helpful is uh just letting people know you're there for them mm. hey uh, you seem like you haven't been used yourself did you want to talk mm. um you've been putting some really worrying stuff on instagram um, I'm a bit concerned about what you're writing. Do you want to talk about it? Mm. Um, 
hey, I saw this website about mental health issues. Maybe we could check it out together. Mm. You know, um, you're getting really skinny, or you're getting, you're eating more junk food, or you stop going to the gym like you used to. What's mm. up? Mm. You know, just like bridging the gap and reaching out and putting your hand out there for someone to maybe grab onto is an important thing to do. You know, mm. I think a lot of us struggle in silence if we're not fortunate enough to know the importance of asking so before i got properly depressed i'd been working around or talking about mental health right mm. so i knew I, i'm like i had a head start as it were yeah most people aren't in that lucky position yeah so giving people the opportunity to open up is really important you don't have to fix them or offer them solutions but just listen to them and letting them know that you love and care about them and is really important mm. And then helping them find professional help. Like, I really yeah. think professional help is important. Yeah. You know, helping them access um, a service. There are good phone lines which are emerging, like uh, 1737 Here to Talk just launched a few months ago, I think. I can't remember the launch date, but it's it's relatively new. Yeah. 24-7 phone line. Um, helping them go to their GP and get... If you go to your GP, most GPs can prescribe counselling. Mm. It's about six sessions, yeah. which isn't necessarily enough. But it's a start, right? It's a start. Yeah. Um, going for a walk, helping someone eat better. Yeah. You know, like, when we think about mental health, it's a huge spectrum, right? Yeah. Not everyone's in crisis. Mm. Some people might just be a bit anxious or have a depressive episode in reaction to something. Right. As opposed to some people who are born with uh, genetics yeah. that predispose them to ongoing chronic depression um, and poor mental chemistry. Mm. Yeah, if your neurological chemicals are all out of whack, um, the way your brain works isn't like a, a more neurotypical brain, so you're more prone to be depressed, right? Right. And then trauma might happen, so that's going to set you off. Set you, off, you know, right. whereas some people, something like me, you know, like I got divorced and then something really bad happened in my next relationship. My depression and mental health is in response to something. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But increasingly we're seeing statistically more and more people developing mental health disorders. And... Why do you think that is? Well, so... Without being a doctor, I've but someone who's has pays an active interest. I think it's society, right. you know. Like if you're not born with a predisposition to mental health problems, if you don't have a genetic uh, causative or explanation, then to me, like society has to be the only answer. And the best book I've read on it recently is called Lost Connections by Johan Hari who wrote one of the best books I've ever read on addiction as well, Chasing the Scream. And Johan did this exploration, like me, really. He has his own depression and he wanted to understand why he wasn't getting better because he'd been on medication for God knows how long, you know. Mm. More antidepressants, more antidepressants, more antidepressants. Mm. Same level of not really feeling happy. Uh, and it's sometimes feeling miserable. So he wrote a fucking book about it. Yeah. Like he just he like he interviewed like some of the like Johanna's uh, was already a famous journalist and author anyway. You know, 
So that was his outlet. That was like how he knew how to. Yeah. Yeah. So he went and wrote this book, um, Lost Connections, and he interviewed some of the most uh, prestigious or esteemed people in the world when it comes to depression and mental health. And after, you know, I, I don't know how long it took him to write the book and publish it, but, you know, after a lengthy, lengthy investigation, he looked at the disconnection that we have with ourselves and with community these days in modern life. Mm. If you think about your day-to-day existence, a lot of the interface you have with other people is through a telephone. You're te- Absolutely, you're, yeah. You're, you're texting and you're Skyping and... Keeping up with people via Keeping up with people. Social, yeah. Keeping up via the socials. There's a culture of comparison on social media. We never feel like our holidays are cool enough or our girlfriends <laughs> are sexy enough or our cars are nice enough. Yeah. We're constantly taught that we need to make more money and work harder and have a more prestigious job title. Mm. But in fact, that doesn't make you happy. No. And, and chasing those things takes you away from what does make you happy. Mm. You know, like when you have to leave the house before your child is woken up, you don't get to play with them. Mm. You don't get to watch their cool developmental steps. You don't get to kiss your partner goodbye or share breakfast with them and talk yeah. to them about their day because you're out working all the fucking time mm. to pay for the house that you can't really afford. Mm. and that you probably prefer not to live in but it's close to work and public transport shit Mm. and if I live further away I'd have to sit on the fucking bus for two hours every day Mm. there and then two hours back Mm. which is also proven to exacerbate bad mental health and cause it Mm. you know the cost of living is expensive so we we take jobs that we don't like because they pay more Yeah, you know what I mean uh we are sedentary, you know, mm. two-thirds of New Zealanders, and indeed, if you look at most Western countries, obesity and uh, being overweight uh, on, are at an epidemic level now. You know, you're, an, you're atypical in New Zealand if you are at a healthy body weight. Mm. Because we have sedentary jobs, because fast food and advertising constantly shops KFC and McDonald's and KFC mm-hmm. again <laughs> Sorry to, and fucking Coca-Cola mm. and in our face on our ads and on TV and in our social feeds and mm. our billboards they sponsor our sports teams like how fucked is it that like an alcohol company can sponsor a corporate boxing event to, you know like yeah, I know it sort of seems like it's not really the right match, is it? It's but not, the, the it's thing not, is, but is like, probably in society at the moment, it is the right match. Well, it's not, though. People say it is because they've done it for so long yeah. that people can't think of something new. Yeah. But actually, there are heaps of other things that could sponsor sport that's yeah. not alcohol. Yeah. And it doesn't encourage people to drink alcohol, which is also a drug which can have negative impacts on your mental health absolutely um so in your opinion we don't eat well you know like we eat junk food that's processed and it's removed from all its natural what you know ingredients are taken out of it and it's put in a packet and then Mm. we grab it in the rush to that job we don't really like to sit down all day and then grab something bit shitty on the way out because it makes us feel good like chocolate and sugar and you know things full of sugar makes feel good right yeah for a short period, for a short period anyway. of time, and then we slump, yeah. and we repeat that cycle, and then we get overweight, and then we don't like. We look in the mirror, and then like a partner doesn't want to have sex with us anymore, and then mm. oh, is it anyone I don't feel very good 
emotionally, mentally. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. We don't have honest conversations. Mm. We don't have meaningful work. You know, like, it's socially constructed. Mm. And yet, you're a lunatic if you say things like, I only want to work a couple of hours a week and live in the country and start a commune. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know? Yeah, if, you, if you're not, not, Well, that's not totally normal. So then doing things yeah. that are different are not always supported. Th- think about how much people who do CrossFit and are vegan get teased. Think about how much you get teased <laughs> if you don't drink or do drugs. Yeah. Think about how much you get teased if you um, want to be an activist. You know? Yeah. People tease people who put themselves out there to make things different and be different. Yeah. Because it's a form of social control. Mm. And yet, here we all are, drinking too much, overeating, with mental health issues. Mm. And yet, the ones who are trying to do it a bit different still have to put up with a whole bunch of social pressure. Yeah. So, in your opinion, what are the best ways to look after your mental health, to promote positive mental health? Can I grab a book? You can. Go for it. I want to get this right. Okay, so this is... This is Lost Connections, right? Um, When I read this book, it really put everything into... um, Focus for me. It really gave me a sense of I don't know let me go oh yeah you're you're right all along because what I always felt um turns out to have a huge academic evidence base behind it so cool. Johan talks about uh ways that we can make things better and that's the reconnection mm-hmm. so this isn't my work this is Johan Harris work this is intuitively what I always felt. And then I read this book and it's full of evidence and data and talking to brainy people. You're like, man, stats. I'm, I'm, like, I'm so smart, I don't even know it. <laughs> but it just, it, just, it, it just made sense. So yeah. he says, what do we need to do? We need to reconnect to other people. We need to have honest conversations. We need to walk down the street more. We need to get out of the car. We need to um, go to the park. We need to say hello to strangers, you know. Mm. That's number one, reconnecting to other people. Number two... Social prescribing is, uh, oh yeah, social prescription. So instead of giving people antidepressants, and I do believe there's a space for antidepressants and mental health medication, like it can have really positive benefits for people. Um, Johan argues that sending people to be with other people was a better idea. Mm. So you go to a doctor and it turns out you have depression or anxiety or some other, you know, related illness. He says, yeah, that's right. He sent people to do like volunteer work. They do volunteer work and shit. Uh, um, so it's like that feel good element. Yeah, yeah, makes yeah. Makes them feel good. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he, totally. he calls it social prescribing. Yeah. It's that, so do volunteer work with other people, not by yourself. Mm. Um yeah, so putting people into programs um, that made them do meaningful work alongside other people turned out to have beneficial mental health mm. uh, outcomes. Do you think that gets you almost out of your own head and your own world as well? By well, helping other people and by well, being ac- put into their environment? I, d- I don't know scientifically, but anecdotally I can say of my own experience that yeah. I guess I spend a lot of time helping other people. Yeah, absolutely. And, yo, it makes me feel good. That's <laughs> like, cool. That's real cool. Uh, whether that's selfish or not, I don't know. But helping other people makes me feel good. Yeah. You know, like, I feel my mental health is really good now. Yeah. 
and um, I feel like back to being who I used to be most mm. of the time. And happy for you. Thanks. <laughs> and most of the time, um, my week involves doing a favor for someone, training some kids who haven't got any money. Mm. Uh, someone might come to my gym where I teach and be recovering from drug and alcohol addiction and they've been sober and they want a healthy practice and they haven't got any money i'll train them for free mm. you know that makes me feel good you know i love that if you if you if you take that and put it on a bigger scale and help other people be involved in programs or bodies of work that maybe it's i don't know redesigning some body of nature <laughs> or mm. you know like planting yeah. trees or yeah you know like anyway johan talks about that social prescription um, number three, sorry, I've never really gone through a book in a podcast before. So. It's okay. I love it. Um, uh, meaningful work. Yeah, that's right. So if we help people have meaningful work, you know, mm. again, that's going to be hugely beneficial. If you hate your job and you have to spend eight hours plus doing it, fucking miserable. Mm. He does this body of research. He he found this body of research, and I quote this all the time when I'm at parties and shit these days. I'm like, "Yo, did you know this motherfucker?" <laughs> like, um, he says, Gallup polling. Gallup is a huge company, international company. They did this body of research. Sixty three percent of people they're pretty like, mm, don't really like my job, don't hate it. Twenty four percent of people actively hate their job. So eighty seven percent of people, if we extrapolate out, and it was a huge body of research yeah like, a, lot of a lot of people a lot of people were 87% yeah. um, of people either are indifferent and dislike the job or actively hate it what does that say when you're spending most of your day doing something that you're indifferent about or don't like mm. how do we encourage people to find things that they like doing mm. even if it doesn't pay heaps yeah you know there's also I was listening actually on breakfast the other day there was a lady in there talking about um, the environment of your workplace yes. and how that has such a massive impact also because you might like what you do but if your environment's n- no fun and you're not enjoying that element of it that would obviously have a massive impact on you too yeah. right yeah a hundred percent if people are mean and snide yeah or really competitive or unhelpful if you're like always under pressure from your boss or your yeah. workmate yeah yeah exactly um reconnection to meaningful values with johan hari's fourth solution which oh yeah okay cool extrinsic and intrinsic values you know so it talks about um materialism which has a strong correlation to increased depression and anxiety you know and yet from the start of our conversation we talked about 12 year olds wanting to make some money we talked about advertising and instagram wanting to buy new stuff all the time i mean like i am mad at some fucking new nikes or some no. but but when that's your whole reason for getting out of bed and you mm. feel like you're not cool enough because you haven't got the latest Jordans and you need to get mm. some more and blah, blah, you know, like mm. over time that has a negative um, impact on us. Johan argues, and I thoroughly agree with, if we have meaningful values in our life and we live for a bigger cause than consumerism, mm. um, material, or, or mater- yeah, things. then that's going to be good for us too. Yeah. So do you care about the environment or do you care about animal rights or do you want to help people at the homeless shelter? Or do you, mm. do you know what I mean? Totally. If we change yeah. those sorts of values, um, if we consciously nurture meaningful values, mm. then we're going to have better things going on. But what do you mm. see on the billboards on Queen Street? Fucking Heartbreak Island. Is mm. that what it's called? Or Love Island? Uh, I, there's a few islands going on. 
I don't know. But you know, like, it's like, here's some ripped people. Um, who, uh, who, I have watched a few. You know, so and it's like people being real mean and real yeah. horrible when you have to look good and blah, 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 you know? Yeah. It's sort of a, a show that's kind of based on some shallow yes. stuff, right? We have shallow shit, but it's sold yeah. to us all the time. Yeah. Covers in magazines. Yeah. Fucking... You know, social media advertising. Yeah. Well, that sort of shit. It's real mm. shallow. Yeah. If you find a life that's meaningful, mm. if you find a passion and a purpose outside of what society is trying to make you do, yeah. chances are you're going to feed them in health. Hockey, I imagine, makes you truly joyous. Yeah. And look, 89% of the time, I'm I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's that 11% that it's hard, but, but, you, but, but you get normal. through it. That's it, normal. That's yeah. the other thing, like... You, no one's ever happy all the time. No. Like, that's and not normal. you can't kind of live thinking that you're going to be happy exactly. all the time. Either. You know, like, like... It's hard sometimes. Life's hard. <laughs> it is. Life yeah. is hard, yeah. you know, but you need to learn how to deal with it in a way that yeah. continues to build you, not, like, break you down. Yeah. You know, I, like, talking to you is your perfect example of having good mental health in a life that facilitates that. Yeah. You don't care about... how You told me, you know, I hope you don't mind me talking about this okay. in the podcast, but, like, you don't care about how much money you earn... You're supported by your family. Mm. You have a sport that you're passionate about. Yeah. You're connecting with other people through your podcast, sharing good ideas and values. Is it is a is a higher purpose? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You, you're in a nutshell doing all the things that yeah. other people could mm, apply to their life. Yeah, I think we also did some work within hockey on um, values and living based off your values and I think that was actually quite interesting to step back and think okay what do I value and then once you're clear with that the actions that you make every day the decisions that you make every day are governed exactly right so you're like okay well I value honesty so this situation arises okay well honesty is one of my values one of my three most important things if I'm honest in this situation then I'm living by my values exactly and so I can't go wrong you know and going back to the yeah, and like, okay, so, you know, we're talking about Heartbreak Island or whatever the fuck, you know, like, yeah. people are mean about other people all the time. Mm. You know, like, New Zealand has a real chronic tall poppy syndrome, cyber media bullying, being nasty about people. Well, Johan's fifth answer to dealing with mental health is finding sympathetic joy. And I'll just read you this sentence. Sympathetic joy is a method for cultivating the opposite of jealousy or envy. It's simply feeling happy for other people. Uh, Rachel guided me through blah, blah, blah. You close your eyes and picture yourself. You imagine something good happened to you, falling in love or writing something you're proud of. You feel the joy that would come from that. You let it flow through you. Then you picture somebody you love and you imagine something wonderful happening for them. You feel the joy from that and you let that too flow through you. So far, so easy. Then you picture somebody you don't really know. Say the clerk who serves you in the grocery store. You imagine something wonderful happening to her. And you try to feel joy for her. Real joy. Then it gets harder. The, you picture somebody you don't like and you try to imagine something good happening for that person. <laughs> and you try to feel joy for that person. You try to, feel, try to feel the same joy you'd feel for yourself or for somebody you love. You imagine how good they'd feel and how moved they'd be. That practice... Johan discovered has actually got a lot of scientific evidence behind it helping us feel better mm. instead of wanting bad things to happen for other people mm. or celebrating bad things happening mm. feel good for them that's cool 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm giving you I a fuck. I'm, I'm giving <laughs> you like a fucking a, a real quick thing. You know what I mean? That, no, that's good though. Um, part six is something I've already talked about: acknowledging and overcoming childhood trauma. Mm. You know, a lot of uh, poor mental health comes from shitty things happened to us in the past, mm. and then we might be unaware of how deeply they've affected us. Mm. You know, so um, that's something I've done my whole life, and to be honest. You know, after I kind of figured out my childhood, then I got divorced. And I've been spending the last few years unpacking that and how that's impacted me and how that's messed up my mental health and understandings about myself and who I am and my place in the world. And mm. now I'm now I'm feeling good again. And part of that is because I've acknowledged and I'm overcoming that trauma. Yeah. Like when we have like massive grief and we don't deal with it that comes out somehow yeah even if they always right yeah and and people say things like oh well you didn't get beat up as a kid by your dad or you didn't get like sexually assaulted or you weren't a heroin addict yeah it doesn't have to be that extreme it's not like a comparison yeah exactly not me versus you it's like your suffering is your suffering Mm. and if we acknowledge that and learn how to deal with it and put it to bed then we're going to have better mental health just the book lost connections uncovering the real cause of depression and the unexpected solutions okay. it's a truly brilliant book it's not the only book it was actually very mm. controversial when it came out right a lot of people were like because he says too much emphasis placed on giving people drugs not enough emphasis placed on the things they can do themselves yeah and the wider causatives for mental health and a lot of people took 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 umbrage to that because I guess people aren't going to want to be on antidepressants for the rest of their life, right? So it's like when you come... Well, I don't personally know, but well, when you come off them, I assume, do people come off them? People can come off them. And yeah. I have. Yeah. When I was taking Xanax, like, first I felt good and I was like, oh shit, this is why they rap about prescription drugs, yeah. you know? <laughs> but, um, but then I wanted to kill myself more. So... Right. I stopped taking them and went back to what I'd have always done. And that was running and training hard. Exercise. And I, yeah, and I involved, and I did my first full marathon, and that was all part Amazing. of my part of my recovery, you know. Yeah, cool. So to wrap it all up, um, what do you value above all? Do you think? Just. Um, <laughs> it's a big. <laughs> being healthy, man. Yeah, hundred percent. Like physically, I've had a number of operations from fighting. You know, I've had my leg reconstructed. I had my nose reconstructed. I had my hair reconstructed. I had my mm. skull fractured. Like. Physically, when I can't... A few bruises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I know what it's like to not be able to move because of an injury. Yeah. And how um, grateful I am to be able to go running and feel the sun on my skin and smile at people and how fucking good your tunes sound when you've got that runner's eye, you know? Mm. I remember being the most positive, annoyingly optimistic dude all through my 20s in spite of... How- you know what growing up was like i was this really positive dude and then after my marriage ended and i got depressed and stuff um and then being back to being well again mentally and emotionally largely i'm largely yeah. i mean i have my days yeah i value being healthy in that sense yeah you know what i mean like that's truly the like the best thing you know like i feel so happy to be uh able to kind of start again and the future looks bright, you know, like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I'm off, I, I, like, I, like, if I was miserable still, fucking, it wouldn't, yeah. no matter what was happening, like, things don't, when you're depressed, no matter what things you have externally, um, 
things don't look cool, you know what I mean? People yeah. are like, oh, I wonder why celebrities don't kill themselves. Mm. Well, it's because having a mansion and fame don't make you well. Yeah. Those are cool, but, like, doesn't fix your internal suffering. Yeah. You know, like, but I've, I don't know, I'm, I'm just really ha- grateful for my physical health, and I'm really grateful for my mental health, and um, I'm grateful to be able to kind of, like, start over again, you know what yeah. I mean? And to be able to help others Yo, to give- from what, from your experience, and I personally believe, like, that's, I, I, I don't know whether this is the case, but I believe that you're good at something because that's your opportunity to share it with somebody else. You're I, not good at something for you. You're good at you're good at something for other people. Or you've been through something for a reason. Yo, that, that's profound, Rose. Like, 100%. Mm. Like, truly. Like, I've only just come to understand that. Because mm. when I was going through my shit, I used to be like, oh, poor me, you know? Yeah. I gave a talk a few about a month ago and it was the fact that having had a difficult upbringing is one of the best things that ever happened to me Mm. Mm, because i've been on this extrinsic search to understand masculinity and come to understand addiction and um and and, you know all the mental health stuff too and like now i've been through all of that i'm in a position and i have a a degree of a platform in new zealand to give back Mm. And I get to talk to, as a, you know, I travel and talk in schools about what it means to be a man and shit and how to stop violence against women and or I talk about mental health. Mm. If I hadn't been through all this stuff, mm. I wouldn't be able to be of service and to give back. So yeah. I'm grateful for all those difficult things that we've talked about today because it means that I can help other people. Yeah. Ah, very cool. Hey, thanks so much. You're welcome. <laughs>